Good morning, Highway community. This week we are continuing our new teaching series entitled Arrow Prayers. Arrow Prayers are short, simple prayers comprised of only a few words that focus our faith and sharpen our awareness of God and His presence with us. And this summer we are exploring some of these short and intense prayers that have been uttered throughout the scriptures by women and men, leaders and followers, and believers and unbelievers. And this morning's prayer, Forgive Me, emerges from one of the most well-known of all of the Psalms, Psalm 51. Now, many of the Psalms are preceded by a superscription, which is an introductory note that provides us as readers with some information about the psalm's context and composition. And Psalm 51 begins with this superscription. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so we learn there that this psalm was inspired by a very dark, very disturbing story from the height of David's rule as Israel's king. And it's a story that's told in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it takes place one springtime when instead of going off to war, David decided to remain in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And he saw a woman bathing down below. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3 says that David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. And then she went back home. And so David sees this very beautiful woman from the rooftop. And from there, the progression of sin plays out in rapid succession. David's look leads to desire. His desire leads to intent. His intent leads to pursuit. And his pursuit leads to deed. Everything happens in extremely short order. Now, one of the characteristics of the Hebrew narratives of the Old Testament is that they're very indirect in the way that they communicate. Hebrew narratives tend to do much more showing than they do telling. And we see an example of that through the repetition of the word sent in the first four verses of 2 Samuel 11. David saw the woman bathing, and he sent someone, in verse 3, to find out information about her. And then in verse 4, he sent messengers to get her. And interestingly enough, that same word is used at the beginning of verse 1, where it says that David sent Joab, his commander, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And that repetition 
of the word sent is the narrative's way of showing us something. Not only does it demonstrate the power and the authority that David has as king, the power and the authority to send armies out into battle, but it also, as it's applied to Bathsheba in verses 3 and 4, underscores David's abuse of that power, as well as the totally egregious nature of what he's doing. Even after the first person who David sends returns and identifies Bathsheba by name, and even after she's identified as both a daughter and a wife, which, by the way, is unusual. Typically, it's only one or the other. So again, we get the sense of the narrative showing us something about this here. And then even though Bathsheba's father, Eliam, and her husband, Uriah, were both part of David's elite fighting group, despite all of those things, David's conscience remains unshaken. Verse 4 says that he nevertheless sent messengers to get her. And all of that brings into focus a very disturbing and a very disheartening irony. And that is that King David is doing some conquering here of a very different kind. And Bathsheba, who as a woman in the ancient world was in a virtually powerless position with really no choice in the matter, she comes to him and sleeps with him. And the parenthetical note at the end of verse 4, which tells us that Bathsheba was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, is a detail that's included with intentionality and purpose. The fact that Bathsheba was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness means that she was not already pregnant when David sent for her. And it also means that this moment in which David sends for her is the most opportune time for conception. And of course, that's exactly what happens. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 5 says that the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. And that immediately puts David into crisis control mode. And what does he do? He does some more sending. He sends word to his commander, Joab, to send Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to him, hopeful that if Uriah returns to Jerusalem, he will go home to his wife and create the possibility that he was responsible for the pregnancy. But as the story goes, Uriah refuses to go home because of his loyalty both to God and his fellow soldiers. And so David tries another angle. He invites Uriah to the palace for dinner and gets him drunk, again, hopeful that he will go home to his wife Bathsheba. But unfortunately for David, once again, Uriah doesn't go home. And so David does some more sending. He sends a letter to Joab, hand-delivered by Uriah, mind you, instructing his commander to put Uriah on the front lines and leave him exposed to the enemy troops. 
And Joab followed those instructions. And verse 17 says that Uriah was killed. And so, in the space of just 17 verses, we see David violating, in a premeditated and methodical way, three of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not commit murder. And the repetition of that word sent over the course of the narrative, and it's used a total of 11 times, by the way, the repetition of that word sent really highlights the way that David's abuse of power is at the core of all of these things, which, when we think about it, is really a picture of sin at its most elemental level. You know, the story of the temptation in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 reveals that the very core of sin involves reaching beyond our limits as humans. It's about acting independently of God's wisdom. It's about taking God off the throne and replacing him with ourselves. And that's ultimately what we see David doing in this story. David is, is on the throne. He's on the throne both literally and figuratively. And he uses that power to do what he wants to do and to get what he wants and to manipulate others. Well, for all the emphasis that we see on David sending in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 12 begins with the Lord doing some sending of his own. He sends the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan tells David a story about a rich man who cruelly slaughters a poor man's one little ewe lamb. And after hearing the story, David reacts very passionately and immediately declares that the rich man in the story is guilty. But his judgment turns out to be a judgment on himself when Nathan turns to him and says, you are the man. And after Nathan confronts David with the specifics of his sin, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says that David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And so that is the context for Psalm 51. And one of the things that makes Psalm 51 unique is how introspective it is. It reflects an intimacy with God that few psalms can rival. And it gives us a really incredible glimpse into David's soul. A really incredible glimpse into the turmoil created by sin. Psalm 51 is one of seven penitential psalms, which are psalms that are focused on self-examination, and confession of sin. And it's important to note that aside from the superscription, the psalm itself does not directly refer to those events that are recorded in 2 Samuel 11. 
And so Psalm 51 was not written to memorialize this particular moment in David's life. Instead, it was written to serve as a model prayer for those coming later. It was written to serve as a model prayer for us, for when we find ourselves in similar uh, but not identical circumstances. Psalm 51 is a model prayer of forgiveness. The psalmist begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Those opening words importantly establish the very foundation for forgiveness. And that is that forgiveness is grounded in God's character. Forgiveness is grounded in God's character. The psalmist's appeal to be washed and cleansed from his sin is rooted in God's unfailing love and great compassion. The word that's translated into English as unfailing love is the great Hebrew word hesed, which is a word that is inherently relational. Well, throughout the Old Testament, hesed is intimately tied to the concept of covenant, which is a commitment to fulfill a promise regardless of whether the other party keeps their part of the agreement. And that's precisely what makes God's love unfailing. And Psalm 51 begins by appealing to that. Forgiveness is rooted first and foremost in God's unfailing love and his great compassion. David continues in verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. There's definitely tremendous amount of transparency and candor in those verses. David knows his transgressions. Right? He is consciously aware that he is a sinner. Consciously aware that, that his sin is always before him. And he definitely owns that in no uncertain terms. Something else that he owns is that even though his sins have had an undeniably horrible impact on others, the most egregious part of his sin is ultimately the offense that it represents against God. Against you only, David says, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
And so David prays with a real humble awareness of his sin and its impact on his relationship with God. Psalm 51 shows us that forgiveness requires a humble awareness of sin. And then, as the psalm continues, we also see that forgiveness involves turning. Forgiveness involves turning. The word repentance literally means to turn. And one aspect of that turning, as we've seen already in the progression of Psalm 51, is a turning away, a turning away from sin. But David's prayer also importantly reveals that repentance involves a turning toward as well, and specifically a turning toward God. Psalm 51, verse 7 says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We hear in those verses how desperately David wants to be cleansed. How desperately he wants to experience restoration how desperately he wants the joy of his salvation, the joy of God's presence, the joy of his relationship with God to be restored. He says in Psalm 51, verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And of course, Nathan's response to David's admission of his sin proves that to be true. Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel 12, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And so, despite everything that he's done, David's prayer, his prayer, forgive me, is answered. And that is good news. And it's good news because it means that that in the same way, when we cry out for forgiveness, when we cry out, forgive me, to our compassionate and gracious God, and when we are honest with God and contrite, and when we turn away from our sin and turn toward God, Regardless of what we've done, God amazingly meets us with compassion and with forgiveness. Wherever it is that we may find ourselves, as David's story so powerfully shows us. 
But it all begins with awareness. And David had become complacent in his position as king. He had become comfortable with his power and, and all of the things that he had at his command. And it took something jarring. And it took God sending Nathan to confront him in order for David to be able to see his sin. And that's often exactly how it works for us as well. And like David, we too become comfortable and complacent with the circumstances of our lives. And that can very much anesthetize us to all of the various ways that we are replacing God on the throne with ourselves. And it can take something jarring to help us see that as well. There's no doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the social unrest triggered by George Floyd's death, have done that. They have given us pandemic-sized lenses into our sin. Pandemic-sized lenses to see all of the ways that we replace God on the throne with ourselves. And the question this morning is, what is God's Spirit making you aware of? How is God inviting you to turn away from sin and turn toward Him. Or maybe there are things that you've been placing your faith in other than God, out of comfort or self-interest. Or ways that you have been casting aside God's wisdom in order to do what you want to do. Or places where you've been grabbing for power in decision-making or at work or in relationships in order to get what you want. Maybe there are ways where you've abused power that you have in order to control circumstances or manipulate others. Maybe you've become aware of ways that you've been complicit with or callous to or tolerant of systemic injustice. Where is that you need to pray that arrow prayer? Forgive me. As we close, I want to create some space for us to sit with those questions. And so I'm going to read a portion of Psalm 51. And as I do that, I want to invite you simply to listen. And as you listen, to consider 
What is God's Spirit making you aware of today? How is He inviting you to turn away from sin and turn toward Him? Where is He inviting you into the open arms of His unfailing love and great compassion by praying, forgive me? Let's listen to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Father, it's with humility that we come before you this morning. So grateful for your unfailing love, and your great compassion. So grateful for the depths of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness because of your love for us. And Father, would you, through your Spirit, Give us an awareness, not only of the beauty of your character, but also an awareness of our sin, an awareness of those places where we have replaced you on the throne with ourselves whatever it is that that might look like. Father, would you give us that 
humble awareness of our sin. Lord, like the psalmist, our desire is to turn away and to turn toward you to find the joy and the beauty of restoration. Father, would you do your work of redemption and restoration in the places in our hearts where we need it? And would you fill us with your joy as we enter into your arms? In Jesus' name, amen.